Welcome to the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, where we help you answer today's most important health and wellness question. Is your sleep making you tired? I'm your host, Tara Clancy. Join me each week for the stories, the science, and the solutions to help you banish counterfeit sleep and have more energy, increased productivity, and a reflection in the mirror you love. Go ahead and subscribe and you'll get each new episode as soon as it goes live. If your sleep is making you tired, it's time to change that and get back to being you. A high-performance workforce starts with high-performance sleep. Do you know how your workforce measures up? Find out today. Take the Sleep Performance Assessment. Learn more at hypersleep.com. That's H-I-P-E-R sleep.com. In this episode of the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, we talk about something all too common, the headache. It's a topic we need to talk about because the negative impact of headache is huge. Now, I don't mean the, honey, I have a headache kind of situation, although I'm sure that has huge impact on anyone hearing it. What I mean is headache and the negative impact it has on your bottom line. Recent research out of Portugal concludes this. Headache has a significant economic burden as measured by work loss costs. Now let's pick apart that phrase, work loss costs. Work loss costs can be the result of a variety of factors. One example is an absent employee. When an employee is not at work, his individual productivity is obviously cut by 100%. But what about the more sinister relative of absenteeism, what we call presenteeism? As defined by Harvard Business Review, presenteeism is when your employee is on the job, but not fully functioning. Presenteeism can cut individual productivity by one-third or more. And no matter how present you may be at this particular moment, it's easy to appreciate how a loss of one-third of productivity has a significant impact on your bottom line. So what can you do to mitigate the negative impact that headache has on your bottom line? That's what we get into today with our guest, Dr. Stasha Gomenak. If her name sounds familiar, you may have heard our scintillating conversation in episode 24 about vitamin D. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, download it now. We get into critically important information for keeping healthy in times like we find ourselves in now. And if Stasha Gomenak's name is not familiar, here's the important stuff. Dr. Gomenak is a retired neurologist who made a fascinating discovery while treating thousands of patients with neurological illness. She discovered one treatment that helped patients dramatically. That treatment was improved sleep. And you can bet that headache 
and even migraine was a chief complaint of many of her patients. And lucky for those patients, Dr. Gomenak's insights and innovations allowed them to resolve their pain and regain pleasure and productivity in their lives at home and at work. Listen and learn why headache plays a unique role in presenteeism. How to tell if your trusty sleep tracker is not trustworthy and how to mitigate the negative impact headache has on your bottom line. Let's listen in to Dr. Stasha Gomenak now. Hello, Stasha, and welcome to the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast. Hi, Kara. Thanks for having me back. Oh, you are so welcome, and I'm so glad to have you back. Um, I didn't get to tell you this, but our last conversation has consistently been our number one download. And I think part of that is because of the topic, right? We were talking about vitamin D and vitamin D is such a hot topic these days, given its role in sleep performance and overall health, really. Uh, And you and I definitely took a deep dive into the controversy surrounding vitamin D. And so if any listener has not had the chance to listen to that, go ahead and download episode 24 because it's very, very insightful. Um, This time we're talking about another hot topic, presenteeism. So presenteeism may be a familiar term to a lot of people. Uh, It's been around for a while. In fact, in 2004, the Harvard Business Review defined presenteeism as the problem of workers being on the job, but because of illness or other medical conditions, not fully functioning. And the article relays that presenteeism can cut individual productivity by one third or more. And there's some new um, research from Europe that looks at one common cause of presenteeism, the headache. And when I saw this study about the indirect business costs attributed to headache, I knew we had to get you back again because you bring a unique perspective to the problem of headache and and migraine. Uh, And even more importantly, you present a unique solution, one that we love, sleep performance. Um, and of course, you know, what we do here on the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast is we bring eye-open, uh, eye-opening solutions to common problems. And so we're, you know, completely on board with that. So if we get back to the article for a minute, the researchers, they did their study in Portugal and they concluded this, headache has a significant economic burden as measured by work loss costs in where they were studying in Portugal. And they go on to say, Company-based interventions should aim to support employees' access to headache diagnosis and treatment, including, and I want to put special emphasis on this, including non-pharmacological coping strategies, right? Not just medications. Um, So, you know, uh, these non-pharmacological coping strategies in order to reduce headache-related economic costs. So can we get into, uh, Stasha, a little bit, um, if we can start with your work with patients dealing with headaches and and migraines too, talk a little bit about that. Um, And then your discovery of the role of sleep in all of that. And then if we can wind up with some concrete takeaways for employees who are dealing with headaches and migraines and uh, for employees who wanna reduce the economic burden of headache and migraine in the workplace. 
so yeah, so can we start out with your work with patients um, in headaches and migraines? Sure, Tara, I'm, I'm a retired neurologist. I spent 30, 35 years doing neurology uh, as a clinical practice and about half of my clients were headache patients. And first I wanna claim something that's a little different than what most people are writing, which is neurologists and doctors have made up the concept that headache and migraine are different. In my view, they are no different. Every person who has what neurologists have distinguished as a migraine also has normal headaches. Hmm. Why would we call it a normal headache? If it's not really normal to have a headache, yeah. it's the only part of our body that spontaneously starts to hurt. And if it's our kid, we just give them a Tylenol and go on. That means there's something unique about head pain. None of our pain systems were designed to just fire up. Why not? No, they were designed to something hurts us and we get a pain message. So the unique thing about headache is that it is common in all human cultures around the globe. And as far as we know, it has been there in all cultures back into written medical history. Wow. That means it's probably a design flaw that was never really meant to produce a headache. Okay. If you look at it that way, it turns out that migraine is really about the brain stem, the base of the brain, where we do sleep. And the head pain system is right next to the sleep switches. It lays right up against it. So if you think about the fact that sleep is something that's supposed to come spontaneously, it is one of the things we really have no control over. You want to or not, you're going to fall asleep and then you're going to wake up. Your brain controls you. So in approaching migraine in that way, because I sat with for 30 years, I'm sitting with women who, mostly women, who have daily headache. And why would this be so common? If you study the anatomy, it turns out that headache is really a sleep disorder. That mm. is by unfortunate coincidence, it happens to be right next to this switch that's supposed to turn on and off. That means it gets affected by things that are right next to it, and yeah. it turns on and off spontaneously. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I just want to jump in for a second in terms of the study. Um, they they said that 73% of the respondents were females. And I yeah. thought that was really interesting because if you think about the distribution of sleep performance problems, they say, you know, it's, it's one in two men and yeah. one in four women. And so it's so interesting to me that more women are dealing with headaches and other related things. They haven't I included headaches as a sleep problem. Yeah, but I also think- thought of it that way. I also think of it this way because women are often the ones, you know, as caretakers, they'll give up sleep more readily, right? So, uh, you know- Not only that, but they give up their body. Well, that's- Every child that they bear takes their sleep away in many ways, not just Mm. the functionality of having the baby and waking up to feed, but that baby takes her raw materials it take makes her women are more likely to be deficient in d and their microbiome Mm -hmm. that affects their sleep so you're right the female population is most commonly affected it's not that the men don't have migraine or headache they get it later in life Mm -hmm. and it depends on how you ask the question okay so i like to start with the anatomy because that's the way i think but 
it turns out that really migraine is a sleep disorder. Migraineurs will tell you all sorts of interesting things. If I sleep in too long on a weekend, I'll wake up with a headache. If I try to nap, I'll get a headache. They, there are many things that they've told us over the years that have told us that. Like I sat for years with women saying, I wake up at 3 a.m. every morning with a headache. And there would be 15 women over you know, two months that would tell me that they wake at 3 a.m. with a headache. And once I started to think about sleep, I thought, why did I ignore that? Because I had no, it, it had no meaning for me. Right. There's a specific thing happening at 3 a.m. We're transitioning into REM sleep. That means that headache and migraine, which are basically the same thing in my view, are related to the phase of sleep. And it turns out it's mostly related to REM. Mm, interesting. And if we if we take it back to this presenteeism idea, well, if you're waking up every night at 3 a.m. with a headache, or even if you're just waking up uh, at your regular time with a headache, of course, you're going to be functioning at less than an optimal uh, level. And then you go into work and your, your performance there is going to be affected for sure. Yeah. And you still have to go to work. So yeah. I spend most, a lot of my time with daily headache sufferers and they don't even report the daily headache. They report the terrible ones where they can't really get out of bed and go to work. But this article really underreports because neurology has not really actively recognize the fact that migraine has a mental state that comes with it. And you do not have to have a bad headache. Mm -hmm. As an example, one of my clients just said, oh, my problem is, I don't, I don't know if it's my sinus infection. Well, she's pointing at her cheeks, but really what she has is she woke up with light sensitivity and sound sensitivity and her face hurts. And she calls that a sinus infection, which is very common. Sinus mm -hmm. infection doesn't cause confusion. And that's the thing that's in the background. People call it all sorts of different things, foggy headedness, mild confusion, I'm dizzy. There is a alteration in mental state that happens as part of migraine. And it can be the only thing that happens. There are many migraineurs who don't recognize it, but they wake up and they think, I just don't feel that good. And they think it's because they're tired, but it's really not just fatigue. It's an inability to process at normal speeds. Wow. So you're down, as you said, they're working at about 75% efficiency in all of their personal life, as well as in their employment. Yeah. And when we ask questions like, the, I can guarantee you the questionnaires that they use use the word headache as though head pain is the major focus. Mm. If we enlarged it a little bit and started to teach these people that that mental status is not just fatigue. So the other thing that's interesting is I have a lot of clients who are, who are insomniacs or who sleep a lot, but are still fatigued. Fatigue is not the same. Those mm. people who do not have migraine and have terrible insomnia or terrible sleep do not say they feel foggy headed. They say they feel fatigued. I've spent so much time with migraineurs that I, I really kind of attached the two, but it turns out they are not attached. Uh -huh. I have many migraineurs who then, as they start to get better, can recognize there are some days when they feel sleepy, but it's a different feeling than being foggy headed. And then there are other days where they may feel tired, but not really have any signs of migraine. 
Right. So, you know, when you're describing that too, it makes me think about, uh, and I know this was for me personally, when I was, you know, before I was aware of my sleep performance problems and a lot of other people, and of course, clients that I've worked with, that you don't actually even realize how much your level of functioning has degraded because it is a sort of slow kind of, uh, you know, descent, if you will. And you just, get used to functioning like that. And it's only when you're able to kind of make that breakthrough, make that connection, and then start to resolve um, the sleep issue that you start to realize, whoa, like I didn't even realize how tired or how foggy headed, whatever it may be. I didn't realize how impacted I was until I got away from it. So that that's a really interesting point there too. And I can imagine with, uh, as I said, like a just that you've been working with people in this for so long, you have an understanding, like most yes, people- I, I, I am migraine too. And until, I, truthfully, I didn't really get clear on this point until it happened to me. Because I'm just driving along, normal day, and start to feel weird. And I have this funny visual thing. And I'm a neurologist, so I tell people all day long that that's a visual migraine. But what I felt after that was not really headache. It was really an alteration in my ability to think rapidly. And then once having that experience, I began to really look into it. It's very common. Yeah, so that's a really important point too for people who are are dealing with this. If we associate migraine with headache pain, that's only one part of it. And it may not necessarily even be the way it manifests in you. There's this whole, like you said, mental functioning component, there's some alteration, which then obviously would impact your performance and of course lead to presenteeism as well. So I like that term that you use because there are many, many women who are at work with mild headache every day because they have no choice. They have Mm. to support their family. Good point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, being absent is a problem for the company at a certain point, but being present and you can't tell when somebody has a headache, especially if they have taken some medication. So it's not a a debilitating pain. They were able to get there, but they're not, you know, they're functioning at some percentage of who they really are. So it really- And they want to be better. Yes. They'd like to be there and fully functioning. Yes, yes. So tell us, I, 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 we've talked about this before when we spoke for, um, when I was interviewing you for my book. Um, tell me, um, tell us the story about your discovery of, of this sleep connection, because as you said, you, you're a neurologist, you're treating patients, and it seemed like, you know, I, I love the discovery of the sleep angle. Can you tell us that story? It was completely by accident. One of my patients, um, insisted on having a sleep study done she was in her early 30s she was not overweight this was in like 2005 no one was saying anything about sleep apnea or sleep disorders in young healthy females and she turned out to have sleep apnea and this is this is after her being with me for a couple years and being willing to try the medicines we would usually use for for headaches. So she said, I want a sleep study. And I said, no, because I don't know anything about that. And she said, I want it anyway. And she turned out to have sleep apnea. The more important part was that she put on a CPAP device. This is a person who can't even wear a ponytail because her head hurts all mm. the time. She straps on this thing and her headaches go away in like a month. Amazing. That completely changed my life. Because even if I thought that was bizarre, 
there's no one going to have a placebo effect from strapping on some stupid CPAP mask. And I picture it as some torture device. I would like never want to do that. Nobody else did either. And then I started to send all my daily headache, you know, young, healthy females, kids, teenagers for sleep studies. And they all had abnormal sleep studies. They did not have consistent sleep apnea. She was a little bit of an outlier. So for the sleep apnea patient, the CPAP is a great answer. For those who just don't have any rapid eye movement sleep or have very little or have interrupted REM sleep, those are not anatomic throat issues. Right. That means it's back on the brain. It's a neurology problem. So that sort of started the experiment. And because I was doing this originally with a lot of headache sufferers, one of the fascinating things is we, we talk in our interview about falling into vitamin D and its connection, but it turns out that especially migraineurs are very able to report what's happening in their sleep. They don't realize that, but that headache, that feeling of confusion, that light sensitivity, it tells you that the REM sleep was not adequate last night. And it'll tell you how long you've had it that way. So they turn out to be tightly linked to their REM sleep. There are an array of other medical and sleep problems that are related to other things, but migraineurs, very linked to rapid eye movement. A high-performance workforce starts with high-performance sleep. Do you know how your workforce measures up? Find out today. Take the Sleep Performance Assessment. Learn more at hypersleep.com. That's H-I-P-E-R sleep.com. Interesting. And can I ask you a question? A, a client asked me this the other day, uh, and I don't know if, if you have any experience in this or not, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there. <laughs> so you know how so many people are wearing sleep monitoring devices, like wrist-based ones? Um, and I forget which one this person used even, but I noticed that the data that the company was um, using to, to tell the, um, you know, the percentage of sleep that you were getting and to look at the quality of your sleep that data was based on users' data. So they were getting their, their data just from the people that were using it, not some more like kind of, you know, separate, more neutral kind of thing. And, and my concern about that is, let's just say you have, just because sleep uh, performance problems are so prevalent now, if you were, it's like almost like marking on a curve, right? Oh, you're okay because everybody else in your group here, you know, your peers are, are performing at the same level, getting the same percentage of REM, getting the same percentage of, you know, I don't even know if they do non-REM, I think they just call it deep sleep or something. But do you, have you, has that come up for you at that's all? That's a big, yes, that's a big issue. It's the new normal. Yeah, like saying, yeah. What's the incidence of autism? What's the incidence of having a wrong microbiome? So one of the really important things that is that I was in the generation that did the very first sleep studies. So Dr. Dement at Stanford is using in the 1960s and 70s, the medical students and the students from Stanford to establish sleep normals. Those sleep normals in those age groups are totally different than what they're putting out now and saying yeah. is the new normal. Yeah. But what they don't realize is Stanford is putting out, oh, these young people have a big uptick in their brain activity between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. Gee, we should start high school at 10 a.m. 
It's not the wrong approach. It's just that they don't realize that everyone they're studying has a low vitamin D. And if they would compare back to before we had sunscreen and computers in the 60s and 70s, they'd see that their new normals are not the same as what teens look like. I happen to be alive then, and I know that no one in my high school was on Prozac and on a sleeping pill. Now, the question would be, did we not have those drugs? Yes, we didn't. But the other thing is, drug companies are interested in a drug that has a disease so they can sell their pill. If the disease isn't there, there is no drug that shows up. So there's a little bit of discussion about are these diseases being now reported? In my view, let's go back to the trackers because the trackers are still really important. I don't think their qualitative evaluation of your sleep is worth much. What I want you to have, if, if, if you're looking at it for your own self, is how much deep sleep did I have, which is usually the first half of the night, mm-hmm. anywhere usually between 10 and 2, when did I get paralyzed? So what they're really measuring is two things for most of them, your heart rate and are you moving? Those are two easily think, done things with... so. Most of the time, that's what I'm most interested in. When did you get paralyzed and for how long? What's the first half? What's the second half? The second half from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. is usually rapid eye movement sleep. And they're making broad statements. How much of each one of those is still a pretty reliable objective measure you can use in addition to? In my view, it should never substitute for how you feel. I really feel like humans are able to report very nuanced, careful description of all sorts of things that they're feeling, you just add that as one more recording device to give you more information. For example, as my patients get better my program, if their complaint originally was waking up at 3 a.m. and that goes away, that doesn't mean that their sleep is normal. It just means they have one less piece of data to tell them. So with a headache patient, you really want to see their REM getting better and better and better over a long span of time because it takes a while. It's helpful for them to stay on track and to still keep their belief generated because it may take many weeks for them to have an objective measure that shows that their REM is slowly getting better over time. So there are some circumstances where you really need sort of an additional window into what's happening in your sleep because you're not waking up. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then I think, um, as you mentioned, um, as you started talking about that, these external kind of things are helpful for us. They're data points. But the bottom line should be, how do you feel? Right. Rather than relying on, on you know, different kinds of AI or whatever technology kind of things we may have to say, you know, are you feeling great? Like, do you wake up? Do you have the energy you need to get through your day? And And, and it should be physical energy, mental energy, and emotional energy too. Yeah. Like you think, I always think of like the type A kind of person. Uh, oftentimes they can do the job and they're going, but they're like burning bridges along the way or whatever. So that's a real, you know, an indicator that, hey, maybe, you know, maybe some something's going on with the sleep and maybe we should look at it. All right. So that's really, really fascinating um, points you made there. And I think that kind of brings us into um, the, the the last thing that I wanted to talk about is like some concrete takeaways. So, I mean, um, you know, for let's say it's an employee who's dealing with headaches and migraines, look maybe at some of those 
um, technology devices, get some measurements. But, but I think even before that, the first thing is to consider that sleep may be the driver really. I mean, mm -hmm. right. I, that's probably the underappreciated point there. Um, and then, so yeah, if you have anything you want to throw in for employees, but also what employers who want to reduce the economic burden of the headache and migraine, uh, you know, in the workplace, uh, give us some thoughts on that. One of the other comments I would make is because I was often dealing with young, healthy people, teenagers, young women, just after a pregnancy or frequently the pregnancies will have tipped them over into not doing as well. You really only know the sleep you've had yourself. So if I say, how's your sleep? And you say, fine, but you've been tired since the day you were born. It's, it is kind of like saying, what does red look like? Yeah. You have to assume a shared experience. So it's what the fascinating part of the background of doing all these sleep studies in these young females was that I, one of them had 10 solid hours. She was sleeping 10 solid hours with no deep sleep. Wow. That was really the thing that tipped me into B12 and then D. So in the background, the most important idea to introduce is you could think you're sleeping as well as everyone else or the best you could and still have daily headache and poor performance at work because your sleep is abnormal. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is um, everybody needs to think about whether or not their sleep could be better. And then the first thing everybody goes to is sleep hygiene. And I think most people who have daily headache and most people who are not performing up to where they'd like to be have already done that. Yeah, not stupid. I agree with you. They've already stopped you. drinking alcohol. They already stopped drinking caffeine. So if that applies to you, come to my website and learn about D and the microbiome. And really what worked best for me was treating the deficiency states that are behind this problem. Yeah. So young, healthy women, teenagers, kids have vitamin D deficiency because of that. They've lost their microbiome, the bugs in their belly. And those two things together are pivotal to get the right chemicals to be able to sleep. The brain is lacking some of the raw materials it needs. Yeah, I think so we, can, they, we can refer people to the episode where we talked about vitamin D because mm -hmm. you really do make those connections so well there. So yeah. if they come to my website, I have a workbook that tells you exactly what to do. The why, if you want to understand why, which is what runs me, there's all sorts of free literature on the, on the website. The how to do it and to stay on task for a whole year, which that's a lot longer than most people are willing to, is in the workbook, which I really recommend. You were talking earlier about we don't really realize that we've been so low until we get better. One of the hardest parts about doing anything that's about treating a deficiency state is being able to look back and go, man, I was pretty screwed up. Yeah. I, I didn't even realize. You have to write that stuff down. You have to actually say, this is what I feel like. And then you have to be able to look back and go, whoa, I've forgotten how messed up I was. And Can how I, I spend my... Yeah, I want to give you an example on that. A, a client that I had, he was a, a gentleman in his early 60s. And he said, you know, my sleep is is, is fine. You know, I, I, you know I, I fall asleep, no problem. I, I wake up to go to the bathroom, but I fall asleep, no problem. So he's thinking, you know, as most people do, waking up to go to the bathroom is only a problem if you can't fall back asleep, which is 
completely not true, right? And um, so we, we worked through, uh, through, our, through the program. And, and on the third week, I asked him, as I do it every, every session, um, you know, did you wake up to go to the bathroom last night? And his reaction was classic. He's, we're on Zoom and he's like, I am just realizing right now that I have not woken up to go to the bathroom at night. And of course, that's why he's feeling you know, more energy, greater focus, greater productivity, all of that kind of stuff. But if we hadn't been, you know, tracking that, he would have not realized that that was a significant shift. In his and what, what nobody realizes is there are many attachments to that getting up to pee. Everybody mm -hmm. goes to how much I drink. Then we no. go to the doctor with the urologist. No, yeah. if you can cause a change in that, through breathing exercises or through diet. And it turns out there are vitamin deficiency states that increase the number of times you pee. It's not just one thing. And there are several roads to get it better. And it turns out that most of the chemical means of changing the bladder sensitivity are directly the same nervous system that's running your sleep. So the autonomic nervous system runs the sleep and it uses the same chemicals for the bladder as it does for the sleep. So no. when you're yeah. intervening through breathing exercises, you are actually changing the state of the parasympathetic nervous system. Absolutely. That, that means there are a lot of ways to put that piece together. So ultimately, what you and I are both doing is teaching a different way to look at this, not yeah. only to recognize it is, is, a, is it a problem, but a way to intervene so that non-pharmacologic uh, intervention that you talked about also includes thinking about it as what about my nervous system that runs my sleep? How could I intervene? You can actually intervene oddly enough through breathing exercises, through deficiency states, and in some situations by changing the anatomy in the aerial airway. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what I was, you know, as, if people are listening and they're like, oh my God, this sounds so involved. I already have enough going on. I am so tired. I can't take on one more thing or whatever. I, I always like to say this that yes, it does, it is a lot to take on, but the, what comes up for so many people is that the variety of problems that you're dealing with actually have this one underlying cause. So if you, you now get to put your energy into one problem and you get to resolve all of these other things. And as soon as you start making small gains in sleep improvement, you really feel those energy changes pretty quickly for a lot of people. So it is a lot mentally, especially to wrap your mind around, but it is, it's, it's really worth it. And it really, it makes everything so much easier. And, and it really is a, like a fundamental solution really, you know, yeah. I think, and I think that that kind of helps us segue into this idea for, um, you know, helping employees who want to reduce this economic burden uh, of this that, you know, causes all this presenteeism and even absenteeism and all of that. What do we want them to do? It's kind of this, as you were saying, this awareness and then bringing help to the employees to get these fundamental solutions really, right? Yeah, I think the employer is, the employer has to connect the dots to say, is it possible that my employees look perfectly healthy or that I as the CEO look perfectly healthy and doing all the things that are recommended, but don't have restorative, completely restful sleep. You have to first open that as a possibility and then say, you know, there are many reasons why young, healthy people who feel that they're otherwise doing the right thing to be healthy can have abnormal sleep without realizing it. 
lead them to the educational resources. You can't force someone to do anything about their health. They have to become interested in it. But in educating them to the possibility that this sleep is one of the four pillars of health. So it's not that diet, exercise, spirituality is not important. They are all important. But sleep is one of the main ones. And we are just stepping in. We're just beginning to recognize how we as a society can address that and help people. I agree. Well said. And, I, and I'm, I'm so excited that we're both, you know, bringing this message out because I think it is really how we make those changes in the workplace, right? For, for as we we're just talking about, but obviously then at home life too. And so it's really across the board and, and we give ourselves a better chance at, at just a better world when people are sleeping better and feeling better and just living better, right? <laughs> All right. Well, as we close out, Stasha, I'd like to ask you the two questions I always ask. Um, the first one is, um, if you were uh, to put up a billboard to get a, a message out about what you know, uh, what would you put on that billboard? And I always say, you know, remember a billboard is relatively small and people drive by relatively fast. So what message would you put on there? Sleep is the most important thing we do every day. Mm. It's a good Most one. people respond to that by, oh yeah, it's important to sleep well. No, that's yeah. not what that says. What that says is the most important thing you do every day is to sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even beyond um, nutrition, really, right? Because yeah. it's how we regenerate and everything. I think it's a good one. I like it. Um, and then the last question is, is a, a simpler one. Um, how would people connect with you? And you mentioned your program. Where would they find that? It's my website is drgomenak.com and you'll put it up written. I and um, I would invite you to look around. There's lots there for both adults and children. I have the workbook I discussed. I also have videos that cover fertility and pregnancy and the first year with your baby, how to use the right sleep program to make sure that your baby sleeps well when they're born, how you can sleep and not gain weight and not have back pain and swollen legs during your pregnancy, and what to do with your kids who are not sleeping. Yeah, well, I love all of that, um, too, because we don't necessarily make the connection like from the workplace that what's going on at home impacts how your employee you know, shows up, but certainly... If you have a baby that's not sleeping or you're having a tough pregnancy or whatever it is, um, the better you do during pregnancy and during that first year, the better everything flows across the board. And we actually just had a last month for um, October, it's SIDS Awareness Month. So we had a few episodes on that. Um, and even ADHD as well, because October is ADHD. And, and certainly if an employee has a child who's struggling in school, all these things, they impact the presenteeism of an employee. So yeah, if your kid is waking up at night, which no child should be waking in the night. Yeah. The incidence of that is probably at least 50% of the children now. And that is none of that is normal. Right, right. And yet, like to go back to what we said before, we come to view it as normal because it's what's yeah. happening. It's maybe the norm, but it's not normal. So definitely I, I would highly recommend the, the resources that you suggested on your, web, your website because they really are um, so detailed and so um, so eye-opening. I, I would just put it that way. All right, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your your insights and, and all your um, you know thoughts on this really important topic. Thanks, Tara. Thanks for inviting me. A high-performance workforce starts with high-performance sleep.
Do you know how your workforce measures up? Find out today. Take the Sleep Performance Assessment. Learn more at hypersleep.com. That's H-I-P-E-R sleep.com. That ends this episode of the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, where we help you answer today's most important health and wellness question. Is your sleep making you tired? Follow us to get the stories the science, and the solutions to help you take your counterfeit sleep journey. And leave us a review to help other people find us. Thank you. And remember, if your sleep is making you tired, it's time to change that and get back to being you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.